Stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, it gives me great pleasure to welcome authors of The Mindful Entrepreneur, Joel Gershman, Howard Finger, and in the absence, Arya Goldman. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks very much. It's nice to be here. Arya couldn't join us, but he's here in spirit and he'll be here in the interview in spirit. This book is so important. I was so happy I discovered it because it sings to so many points we cover on this show all the time. That business has become holistic. It's not just about doing business and dying on the way of getting there and all the suffering and struggle you go through. And, you know, your story, Howard, really clears up that and how Joel and your meeting of Aria made your holistic journey possible and has led to serious success for you. But, Joel, it'd be great to start with you because the context in which you wrote this book, it'd be great to hear a little bit about that. So, one write the book. Um... Probably a few reasons. Uh, first of all, I look. I work as a business coach, and I work with many, many business owners. And I found find that many of them experience similar situation to Howard, where you know the business literally dominates their life and causes undue stress. And what I wanted to do was empower people by showing them Howard's journey and how you can transform business struggle and personal difficulty into a life of you know growth meaning and freedom and uh, howard's journey illustrates how it can be done um despite a very very difficult situation that howard was in you know what i love you you did joel you synthesized business knowledge many books i've read as well jim collins simon sinek and even man search for meaning by victor frankel you've synthesized then so that was the IQ part of the story. And then you used emotional quotient EQ by telling Howard's journey. Howard, the book opens this way and it's, it's told like a story, which is brilliant because you can really relate to it. And you share so much of the journey behind the scenes as well, which we don't often don't see, Howard. It'd be great if you tell us the story from, from the days where you were made redundant and you went into business. That's a long story. How long we got? <laughs> so I, I think the, the, the principle was same with me. I'd read a lot of consultants' books, and what I felt was that many consultants haven't lived and experienced the the pain, the pressure, and the joy um, of, of running their own businesses, um, and what that means both personally in in the business and in your own life. And you know, I mean, I was, um, I guess, successful. I was a sort of a guru in the internet. At the internet stage, we launched, um, I worked for a company called Global Sources, which I just got a check um, a week ago. They were public. We went public together. I was involved in helping them go public on NASDAQ when we launched globalsources.com, and that was in 1993, so the very, very early days of the internet. And they've just gone private. Blackstone bought them, and I got a check totally out of surprise for a few shares that I'd still had hanging nice. around there for some reason, which was a very, very nice, nice one, man. surprise. But yeah, I mean, I thought I was a superhero running, you know, one of the very earliest business to business websites. And then when the dot bomb happened, uh, my share value went from $89 to two. And of course I wasn't fully vested, so I couldn't even sell those. And then I was made redundant and I will never forget standing in the shower crying and 
at that point realizing that I didn't want to put myself into that situation ever again, where my life, my income, and I was, you know, pretty, always very passionate and committed to whatever I do, was in the hands of someone else. And that's what really drove me to then part one of the reasons why I, I took the plunge and, and went into setting up my own business called VentureWorks. Now, there's a whole backstory as to why VentureWorks and why online learning, et cetera, et cetera, which I don't think we'll go into here. But when I set up that business um, and then set up VentureWorks and then realized just how hard it is um, and how it's not a job, it's a lifestyle and running a small business means you never take a break. You're always thinking about it when you go to sleep. And the book opens when things had got really difficult, um, which now I realize with the feedback we get from many, many people who respond to the book, um, they contact us and say, you're telling my story. How did you know my story? Um, and I think that I have, n not intentionally, but I've written, or Joel and I have written, the archetypal small business story of the the, the struggle. Um, and I decided at that time that if I was going to tell it, I needed to say it as it was with, you know, as I say, warts and all. Um, and as you see, when we open the book, um, it opens with those. Many of you will know this, at waking up at three o'clock in the morning, morning, terrified that um, the business is going to fail. You're a failure. You have to pull the kids out of school, have to sell the cars, which you can't because they're leased. All of the cash flow problems, all of the stresses that many small businesses businessmen, business people live all the time. And what I realized was, of course, I thought it was me and my business. But now we realize, and especially having with the book and the feedback, is that there are so many people living that stress. And I, and I think, as you said before, the, the thing that, that Joel brought to me, the recognition is that you know, your business life and your personal life are actually one. They're intrinsically entwined. And although we all know it until you actually talk it through and recognize the impact, you know, you cannot be as effective as at work if you're not happy at home. And similarly, you can't be as engaged and available and loving and compassionate and sensitive at home when you're under massive stress in the business. And so one has to, you have to recognize that you've got to deal with both at the same time if you're going to succeed in both right and achieve a level of of happiness fulfillment and as we say on the book stay sane what really resonated Howard was I know so many people through this show and through my professional work that have gone through this and, and so many of them I felt for them at Christmas time because people go into Christmas and they have their holidays and they getting paid and they're able to buy their presents for their kids. Meanwhile, so many entrepreneurs and people have done what you did are struggling. They're wondering, can they afford Christmas presents? There is no holidays for them. And that really resonated with me was one thing. But the other thing was you talked about the state of one's business and the state of one's mind are so interconnected. It reminded me of this Emerson quote, which is every institution is lengthened by the shadow of a single man or woman. His character or her character determines the character of the organization. But also that shadow goes into the home place as well. And the fact that you dealt with that holistically. And Joe, it'd be great to talk to you now about how you met Howard and how you 
came into the story and, and you do this brilliantly in the book, but it'd be great to hear from you yourself. Yeah, sure. So how and I were actually acquaintances um, before you know, I started working with him, but I actually needed a, uh, an office space and I heard that he had some spare space in his office and I, one day I literally you know, knocked on the door and uh, it, hap- it so happened that he was in the middle of his um, cash flow crisis at that point and I, I said to him, look, you know, can I have an office space? Um, and we ended. We, we got talking, and uh, you know, I mentioned that you know I work as a business coach, and and he said, well, why don't we do a bit of quid pro quo? Why don't you give me some coaching? I could probably do with some coaching right now, and um, you know, I'll give you my office space. And that's exactly what we did. And we started. You know, I started coaching him, and you know, the very first issue we dealt with, and we focused on, was his cash flow problem. He was facing massive cash flow problems at that time. And the book goes into more detail around exactly what it was. But it's probably worth mentioning that, you know, I asked him the question, you know, why is it that you have this cash flow problem? And the, the immediate answer was, well, because, you know, customers are slow to pay and, um, you know, the, the, the economic situation is difficult, etc. Very ex- answers that, that were focused on external causes. And, you know, I asked him the question, but, you know, how did you contribute to all of this, right? How are you impacting this decision? And we realized that, to be honest, he didn't really have a system for collecting money from customers. He hadn't really thought about it. And it wasn't until we started identifying that as a key area of focus and he started taking ownership for how he collected money, he developed a system, a step-by-step process for how to do it, that he was able to start to make a dent in that in his cash flow issue and he was able to bring in a significant amount of money. And we then, as a result of that, we recognised, he recognised the impact of systemising his business and we spent the next know few months and, and even years working together to systemize other parts of his business and and get it working and get back on track well joel says is exactly as it is however <laughs> from the business perspective it's much simpler in that i didn't actually have i didn't actually chase the money right i had invoices due but i ha- didn't know exactly which ones were due how old they were I hadn't have a process to phone up a client and say, will you pay? I didn't think you could actually phone up a client and say, hey, I sent the invoice. Would you pay it? I just didn't even, it wasn't even part of my, my process, as, you, as he says, right? So obvious in retrospect. And everybody goes, what do you mean? How could you not? But because you're so busy putting out fires and doing everything else that you don't think about, the process of collecting the money that you're due. You, the only thing you do, I did was send out an invoice and hoped it came in. And I think that when Joseph take ownership, it was recognizing that I was equally responsible for the bills, not the invoices not being paid on a timely basis. In fact, more responsible than my clients were. And when I started to actually put a process in place and had clients phoned up 
called up and said, would you pay the bill? They went, oh, thank you so much for calling. I meant to get to that. It's been sitting on my bloody desk for months. I should have done it. Thank you so much. And I realized that, you know, just by having a simple process in place that we knew this is what happens after you send out an invoice, you know, a month goes by, then you call, then you send an email, then and suddenly that simple change shifted so much that it then made me recognize the value in applying that across my business. And that is what fundamentally, as Joel says, has shifted um, and is the difference between running a, a large business and a small business, but the small businesses just don't apply it. And, and you know, this is connected to the, this idea of, of mindfulness, at least in the way we describe it. So when we talk about mindfulness, we're not necessarily talking about mindfulness meditation or some other psychological practice, which, by the way, may have some value. But we use the word a bit more generically, and we're referring to being more deliberate, more intentional, and more purposeful about how you run your business and also how you live your life. And that's really what Howard started to do. He started to become deliberate, intentional, taking responsibility for how the different processes in his business ran. And that's when he started to see significant change. And by the way, he did that as well in the rest of his life, not just in his business. And that was one of the things that Aria really helped him do. Brilliant. And, you know, one of the things you, you say in the book several times and Howard realizes is that you 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 need to work on the business and not in the business. And that's what happens. You end up in the weeds and you're not up in the helicopter seeing what's going on. And you call out this, Joel, in the book, is you have to, as an entrepreneur, balance three roles, the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. It'd be great to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and look, to give credit where, where credit's due, that's that's a, a, a classic formulation um, that Michael Gerber, the author of the E-Myth Revisited, came up with. Um, he said that every business owner really has to wear three hats. Right? At, one, at one level, they're the technician, the person doing the day-to-day operations of the work, fulfilling customers' needs, whatever that business is. Um, But they also need to be a manager. That means they need to make sure that others in the business are effectively doing what they need to do. And, And finally, they need to be an entrepreneur, which means they need to take that step back, think strategically about how to improve the business, how to grow the business, how to make it run more effectively, more efficiently, et cetera. And what often happens is that most business owners are technicians by nature. In other words, they're really good at the day-to-day work of the business. For example, they might be a great plumber or a great electrician or a great doctor or a great dentist. Um, but they don't necessarily have the management and entrepreneurial skills necessary to truly grow a business. If you're spending all your time on the technical work and not on the managerial and especially the entrepreneurial, it's going to be very, very difficult to grow an effective business. And that's really the shift that Howard made from a technician and part-time manager into someone who is spending much more time managing the business effectively, pulling himself out of some of the technical day-to-day work and focusing on the entrepreneurial side, which really has enabled him to grow the business. And Howard and I had a conversation literally yesterday, I think it was, um, where Howard, uh, you can confirm this, I think you've been doing 
over 30% growth the last three years straight. Is that right? That's right. 33% in 2017. Such a far place from sitting on the side of the bed, you know, wondering, (laughs) can you take your kids out of school? Like, it's nuts. No. And I think what I just want to say is that, you know, there's the great analogy for that, which I didn't get into. And again, this was was Gerber, right? What Joel's saying is that, you know, you meet many people who say they're great bakers. They make amazing cupcakes. And so they decide they want to go into the cupcake making business. They want to open a bakery. Well, running a bakery has nothing to do or very, very little to do with actually making cupcakes. And what you end up finding in the business, which is the frustration of it, is that you have a passion around making cupcakes. Well, you rarely spend much time making cupcakes. You've got to find a lease. You've got to negotiate the shop. You've got to uh, manage people. You've got to do the accounts. You've got to do the, the uh, there's so much around the business that you need to do that has nothing to do with making cupcakes. Right? And it's actually frustrating. And you have to get clear that you want to be an entrepreneur, that you want to run and grow a business. That's the job, not making cupcakes. And so you end up giving up a lot of the creative pieces of what your original driver was, which I I loved creating writing courses for online training. I don't do that anymore. I don't have, it's not appropriate. There are, firstly, there are better people who can do it than me now, but there are other things that I have to do in terms of management and entrepreneurship. Now, I still put my hand in every now and again, and I still overview, oversee things. But you have to recognize that being an entrepreneur is far more than being the technician. I think once you do that, and it's a very scary thing to do once you're in the business, is to let, you know, as you say, work on the business rather than in the business. Stopping from working in the business and taking time to work on the business is a terrifying moment because you think, I've got all these fires blazing. Well, I'm just not going to put them out. And and Joel says, yeah, yeah, let them burn. Yeah, and you, and you feel you probably don't have time either. You, you don't have time to be put. That's what I'm saying. You never have time. First of all, you don't have time to get everything done at work, and then you're constantly feeling guilty because you're not spending enough time at home or with your kids or talking with your wife, right? And then you don't do either well, and then then Joel comes along and says, "No, don't do either. Just focus on." And you go, "What?" But yeah, it's a, that's a, but the, but that's the difference, and it's that's once the, you do it, you're open. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. your openness actually—I mean that—that's a key piece as well—is uh, that you were open to it, and so many businesses are. And we'll come back to purpose of the business and Joe, your expertise yeah. in a little while. Because, but I suppose one of the things that dawned on me was what you're saying there, Howard. Is businesses do this? Big corporations—they're doing stuff, pumping out products, making projects, products, rarely questioning why or rarely coming up with a real purpose why they're doing it. But we'll come back to that in a sec, because there was a great analogy you gave in in the book as well, which is that rowing a boat is very different to commanding a ship. It's a very different skill, and you talked about that. And one of the key things, Joel, you touched on is systemizing the business. It'd be great to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. um, Look, it's, it's connected to this whole discussion we're having about, you know, moving from a technician's role into that of a you know a manager and an entrepreneur, um, 
So we talk about this idea of kind of breaking free of your business, right? Trying to set up a business that gives you the freedom to choose how much or how little you want to be involved. That's what we mean when we use this term, breaking free. Um, but that doesn't just happen on its own. You actually need to create the business in a way that frees you up to be able to focus on the entrepreneurial side and spend time with your family, etc. And to do that, you need to systemize your business. What does that mean? That means create documented step-by-step systems or processes for the core tasks in your business. And that way you can delegate the tasks to others with confidence that they'll be done you know, effectively and efficiently every time, which then frees up your own time. Um, you know, the example that, that I often give um, is that you know, research suggests that franchise businesses are significantly more successful than other startup businesses. And you might ask why, right? So, you know, I often use the example of McDonald's. They're the you know, classic franchise. So whether or not you like McDonald's burgers, it's very difficult to deny that the vast majority of McDonald's stores are enormously successful. Um, I haven't seen the figures over the last year or so, but, you know, a year or so ago, the average McDonald's store made somewhere around $2.3 million in sales, no matter where it's, you know, no matter who runs it, no matter where it's located. And the reason is that it's been set up so that it's virtually impossible to fail. They have tried and tested systems for literally everything from making burgers through to marketing, recruiting, bookkeeping, you name it. And it's why they can have 15-year-olds serving and a 19-year-old managing the place because right? you simply turn a key and it runs. And, and what I find and what Howard experienced is that when business owners bring that kind of systemization to their businesses, they can create a significant – they can, first of all, create an operation that runs smoothly and efficiently. But critically, they can create an organization that runs smoothly and efficiently without them, which – obviously creates the, the freedom that we, we've just been talking about. From your perspective, Howard, one of the things that dawned on me as well was that you did a basically barter here. I work in transformation and, and I know how frustrating it is often when you see how much value you can bring to a company if they get up in that helicopter and they look down and they systemize it and they look at it from, from new lenses. But it can be so frustrating because business owners are so busy in the business that they don't, they don't even see the value in that. But Howard... You somehow did, but then you also embraced it. <laughs> I'd like to think, you know, it's, it's very funny. I was listening to Joel talk about how that first meet, that first meeting in her office, and I, I, I think I put it in the book, is that when he came in and he said, um, you know, first of all, recognize when he says office, it was a large room. Okay. <laughs> so I had an extra desk in a large room. So, um, and when he came in and said, you know, oh, there's something else you could help me with. Because that's what he came and said, look, I want this desk, blah, blah, um, except, you know, I need something to say. And I said, OK, great. And when and then he, he said, there's something else you can help me with. And my my heart sank right into my stomach. <laughs> oh, please don't ask me for money. Right. I thought he was going to ask me for a loan. Right. And I was right in the middle of this cash flow crisis trying to get sort stuff out. <laughs> and then he said, no, no, he said, I want to try and take my own consulting business online. And you've got experience of working on the Internet. And I wonder if you could help me do that. And, and I said, because the thought of me finding the, the you know, the hundreds, the couple of hundred dollars or whatever it is, uh, you know, $1,000 a month to pay for the 
for the training or the consulting seemed impossible. Right? I didn't see that I could find an extra, you know, thousand dollars a month to pay for, for something, which I didn't, I didn't have the money. Um, and I said, look, I'm happy to help, but, you know, can we barter it? Um, because I knew that I was failing. Right. And I think that that's a, I think that's a critical recognition that many people refuse to make until it's too late. And, and I, I knew that, you know, I've been doing this for a while now, for a nap, for several years. Right. Um, and I wasn't getting what I wanted out of the business. You know, I, I reason I went into that, set up my own business, I said before, because I wanted the, the freedom that no one was going to fire me ever again. Well, the way things were going, you know, not only didn't I have the freedom, I didn't know I was going to survive. I couldn't pay my bills. I didn't have any of the stuff, you know, that, that freedom, the money, the, the choice, the, everything that one sets one up, set up their own business. Set, why do you set up your own business? Because you want those things. And I wasn't getting them. And what I recognized was, and today I recognize, is that very few small businesses, business people have what they set out to achieve and, and 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 when you are willing and it's a very difficult thing to own that right then i recognized i had to find help i wasn't doing it on my own and and ego is a dangerous dangerous thing and the and i'm certainly not lacking in ego but the 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 ability to step back and say no i need help i don't know the way out of this and that's true you see this now in in depression and independences and everything. And I think that's one of the massive, and people see it as a, as a negative and it's not, it's a strength, right? To be willing to own the fact that there are people who can give you what you don't have and you don't, aren't expected to have it all, but we yeah. think we are. We think we should be able yeah. to do it all on our own. And it's, 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 it's really, some people can, there are some people, or they're lucky. Yeah. Right. And if you're not lucky, then, you know, you need help and, and willing, willing to ask for it. And then it's recognizing, which takes on to the next piece, Aiden, which is recognizing when those opportunities are offered to you for help, yeah. for assistance. Yeah. That's that's can, a big breakthrough. Can I just just add to what Howard's saying, just going back to the, the, the actual experience. Um, so I think to Howard's credit, he was open and recognized that he, that he needed help at that point. Um, but, you know, Howard's no, if I can say this, Howard, with you on the line, Howard, Howard's no pushover. He doesn't just necessarily accept or agree anything that, that anyone says to him. Um, he needs to kind of see the proof in the pudding, so to speak. Um, and I remember when, we, when I first talked to him about this idea of systemization, he said, well, yeah, it kind of makes sense in theory, but, you know, I don't know if I accept this yet until I see proof. And it wasn't until we, we actually implemented that very first collection system that we talked about earlier. And he saw, I think it brought in something like, what was it, Howard, 30, 35,000 no, 80, pounds 80, Oh, yeah, in the first week, 35,000 So sometimes people need to implement part of it to see the impact, and then that, that opens them up to being able to accept more help and more advice. And I would, yeah, I yeah. would say you're – you're a businessman. If you are looking, going to take on any of this sort of coaching, consulting, support, test them, right? Say to them, look, I'll do it, but, you know, prove it to me. 
I'll, you know, I'll commit whatever time or some money, but limited money. But I want to see evidence and I need to see evidence quickly. And, and that's the challenge I gave to Joel and he delivered. After that, it was difficult Brilliant. to say no. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and it, it segues nicely. So we talked about the holistic approach and Arie came in at this yeah. stage, I suppose. And Joel, it was you who introduced him to Howard. And it would be great to talk a little bit about that. And then Howard, your experience of Arie and how you sure. found your own purpose. Sure. Yeah, look, I mean, I saw that Howard was in, in a difficult state um, and not just in, in terms of his business, but personally, interpersonally, he, he was extremely stressed and not seeing his family enough. And as we said earlier, the state of your mind and the state of your business are deeply intertwined. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist or a counsellor by trade. And so I, I referred him on to speak to Arie, who is a, an experienced counsellor, and I felt like he could assist him in that area. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, you know, the very first thing he did with him was help him really clarify his values, what was really important to him. We, in the book, we call this your, your core purpose. But it's really about what is important to you in life. And... You know, the immediate concern that Howard had was more cash. And, of course, cash was important to Howard. There's no question about that. Um, but in reality, cash itself wasn't going to be enough to make him happy. He had other critical values, which he can, he can talk about further in a moment. Um, and it wasn't until he started identifying those and saying, you know, this is what's really important to me in life. And how do I make sure that I'm actually living those values and expressing those values in the business and outside the business? And then he started taking steps to do that. Like just to give one or two small examples, um, you know, how it identified, you know, his family as really, really critical to him and the family relationships. And yet at the same time recognised that he was spending I think it was, Howard, was it 200 days out of the year away overseas? Yeah. yeah. About something like 200 days. So, you know, the vast majority of the year was not spent with his family, even though he loved his family and, and wanted to spend time with them. And so we started, he started making some commitments to rectifying that. And ironically not only did that make him happier and his family relationship stronger but it actually helps him with his business because he's feeling more balanced the more i'm better able to cope that was just one example but how you might want to add to that i think what's Aiden, what's most important is that the core purpose statement which was the process that aria first took me through to and let, and as joel says i'm i'm not a pushover i'm very cynical Right, around most things, and I was very clear with, um, you know, Aria that I didn't need a um, a counsellor, a psychiatrist. I wasn't willing to lie on the couch and talk about my mother and how to hate my mother and you know all that sort of stuff. <laughs> mother and mother. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't willing. To, I wasn't going to talk about killing my mother-in-law. No. Um, <laughs> but he was very, very, very focused and very commercial within the context of my personal life. And, and there's a great um, exercise which you can do. It's in the book and there's, and there's templates and everything else that come with it. And so if, uh, around, you know, creating your core purpose statement, what, what is it that I and that 
other people, what do I really want? What really drives me? Because as I said before, setting up your, your own business, you know, one of the drivers was that independence, right? Not wanting to have my life dependent on someone else's decision, right? The other was having a certain amount of money, a certain lifestyle, right, that I, I thought would be part of making me happy, the, you know, freedom, um, meaning, these things, which are, they're all relevant. If you go into business and your intent, sole intention is to make money, you probably won't, right? What you need to, because it's, what you look at any of these very, very successful people, right? They're focused on, on something, on a purpose. The money is a side effect. And if you focus on the money, you don't generally make the money. It's when you focus on the, on the core purpose, the money just comes. I, I know people, you've heard this before, but it's so true. So the, the, the area made today, that same core purpose, which is to create the greatest sustainable value, no excuses. That's my core purpose. That is absolutely equally as true today as it was five years ago or four years ago when we, when we did it, five, um, when we wrote it. And more importantly, what it gives me is it gives me something to judge against where I am. Am I on the right path? Is and it's right down to individual decisions. Do I want to go into develop this product? Do we want to go into this market? Do we want to? Do I want to take time off and go to Iceland and see the Northern Lights? Whatever the decision I'm making, I can map it against that core purpose statement. And so long as it's aligned with it, then I know I'm on track. And if it's not aligned with it, then I need to say no however attractive yeah. it might be for other reasons. And that takes the pressure off. It's suddenly like, oh, I can relax because I've got a guide, a personal internal guide of words that are clear, that help me keep online. And it works. It's working. Um, so that, I think, is, is a, you know, that's the whole core purpose of, of life is you know what do you what do you need to make you happy and fulfilled right and it's different for everybody yeah. else for yeah. everybody and, and it, it really, this piece i think was really important because it's not just about having a purpose for the business which is joel's expertise but it was also aria's what's yeah. your core, core purpose and there's, there's one thing i'd like to talk about Harry, because i think this is really important is the self-talk piece. So so your self-talk was, you know, outwardly you were going, you know, when when you got, and I won't give away the whole story because I, I think people should definitely buy this book. It's a brilliant business book, life book, everything, spiritual book. But when you were, were almost ousted from the business, and this is a nice twist in the story, you, you started to look at yourself and kind of going, I'm not good enough. And that yep. was your inner child, your bullied child from school that was coming through. It'd be great to hear a bit about that because this is something I think so many people suffer from and they identify with, but they don't know that's what they're identifying with. Yeah, I, I think it's so prevalent. <laughs> I, I'm always astonished about how everybody <laughs> is still their, their little child, right? And we still live from that place if we allow ourselves to. It really was a matter of, of Aria saying to me, you know, me phoning him up and saying, it's not working. I've been ambushed. I've been kicked out of my own business. And he said, well, why has that happened? And I said, because I'm a failure. Because I'm not good enough. 
right? And they're right, right? And he said, and then he took me through this process of saying, well, who's on what basis are you saying that? What's the evidence that you failed? And when you sit back and objectively look at what you have actually achieved, right? That I had a business, it was ongoing, right? I did have a loving family, I did grow something, I did have. 100 clients i was generating revenue okay it wasn't as good as it could be blah, blah. but i had a lot of things that said i had been very successful in my life within the context of my own conversation and so the reality was completely different to my inner conversation about who i was and having a third party to sit with you i think was and have him challenge me on my own internal story and prove to myself that actually it wasn't true. Just to add to what Howard's saying, Ariere references a principle called the success principle by Jack Canfield, where he, he gives a powerful kind of formula, if you like, which is event plus response equals outcome. In other words, he's saying that challenging events, like getting kicked out of your company or whatever it is, losing a major client, not doing well in your business, will occur in our lives. We sometimes can't prevent those things from happening. Um, but our emotions, behaviours, and ultimately the outcomes we experience are not simply a result of those events. They're affected by the way we respond to or interpret what has happened. We, we kind of tell a story about the events in our minds, and it's that story that makes all the difference. And, and so one of the things Aria did was to help Howard challenge that story, reframe that story as it's sometimes referred to and once he started reframing that story it then opened him up to be able to one see himself in a different light and also think about the opportunities for growth as a result of this event because very often when negative events occur in our lives they can actually spark very possible positive outcomes if we're willing to look for those positive outcomes in those difficult situations yeah man brilliant that reframing is so key because we all do this and a couple of shows ago, we had Jeff Chrysler's author of Dollars and Cents, and he talked about this. He's saying that one of the problems in the world is that because in the lack of a measure for things, money becomes a measure or your car you drive or your house you drive, we lose view of what wealth could be for you. Like you, Howard, with your family becoming really important, spend time with your girls, one-on-one -on -one time, etc., that doesn't have a value in the world because everything's measured by money. And that really sung through to me. And it's not the event because events, shit will always happen. But it's how we react to that is that it's absolute key. So, Howard, you dealt with your personal purpose through your work with Arie. And then Joel stepped in. And he went, OK, now you've nailed that. You've got a framework to work on that. Next is to look at the business. Joel, it'd be great to talk to you a little bit about that. So once he'd identified that core purpose, what we then said is we need to identify a purpose for the business and a purpose that aligns with, with his personal core purpose. And, you know, this is a point that Howard is kind of alluding to a little bit earlier today. We sometimes think of the business, purpose of the business as making money, and of course it, it should. It must make money um, if it's to be a successful business. But the underlying purpose of the business is not about money it's about helping serving customers in some you know fundamental way and it, it's not until we identify that underlying core purpose that we have a clear sense of what we need to focus on to make the business successful so that was really 
kind of step one. And then we actually built out a full strategic plan for Howard's business. Um, we, we didn't leave it at just a, a core purpose. We identified, um, you know, some core values that the business needed to adhere to, people in the business needed to adhere to, to make sure he was able to achieve that purpose. We identified a vision, Howard set a really big vision for his business um, in terms of what he wanted to achieve. Howard, I think, what was it? Uh, 10 million pound revenue um, yeah. for the business. And yeah, it was, it was under a million at the time. It seemed massive and it was massive from where he was. I mean, it was 10 times where he was. Um, but what was really interesting and how you might want to talk to this is the idea of setting a ambitious vision forces you to think differently about your business and about how you're going to achieve that vision. Howard, you know, I, I think we, you realized, we all realized pretty quickly that you were never going to achieve $10 million by just growing organically. Even if you grew, you know, bit by bit, step by step, and you were going well, you still weren't going to hit that amount. You needed to think fundamentally differently about how you're going to grow your business to achieve that. And that's when you started thinking about acquisitions and other things. And it's really driven you to achieve a level of growth you probably wouldn't have achieved otherwise. Is, is that fair to say, Howard? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's the same thing as you say when it goes back to working on the business as opposed to in the business. First of all, to set a challenge, and it has to be – it's not about realistic. It's, it's Obviously, there has to be some possibility of it occurring. Otherwise, it's meaningless, right? But I could not at that time – I did not know – how we would get from a million pounds to 10 million pounds within five years, which was the, the goal by 2020, right? Um, and that was in 2015. I didn't know how I was going to do that. Um, but if things grew and if we got products and if we expanded the market and if and if and if and if, there was some pots, there was a potential I could get there. The, the real, the, but what it also said was, okay, whilst I'm trying to get there organically, right, I've got this goal. So what are the alternative and other options that come up? And so suddenly when I'd be in conversations with people, that would be in the back of my mind. And, you know, I went for, for lunch with a, um, a lady, um, again, I won't mention names here, but uh, who I'd known for 10 years and she had a related business and which was in America. Um, and we were in the U basically in the UK and Hong Kong and Australia. And, um, I sat with her and as I'm listening to her, I said to her, do you want to sell your business? And she said, well, actually, yeah. Why? Why did you think that? I said, I don't know. I said, but just, I just thought that put your business with my business. And I've now increased the revenue by 50% and you want to exit. And so maybe we can come up with a deal that gives us both the benefit. And then that gets me closer to my 10 million target within 20 years in a much better way. And she said, I'd be really keen on that. Well, we finalized the terms on Christmas Eve <laughs> just now to close the contract. Thank you. And we closed the contract on the first, on the 31st of March. You have a That's habit out. of that, the Christmas Eve. Yeah, contract. yeah, yeah. It seems exactly. to be a pattern. <laughs> it, it, that's true that's true you have to look for those patterns right and then i got now now you're saying that next christmas eve i'm going to be looking for the next one right i, I think i want to, i think it's a great segue because i i think there's several things there's so much to discuss but one of the the things that setting the vision does and a lot of the processes does that that gives you the freedom to to think differently 
right? The famous Apple um, statement, but to think differently. And what I mean by that is that that Aria taught me this, and 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 I, I don't know the difference because it became really weird between Aria and Joel. I mean, I, I think there was a conspiracy between the two of them because it was so <laughs> aligned between yeah. the, both of their philosophies. Um, they were very different, but totally aligned in terms of taking. That's why personal mission vision statement and personal mission statement, um, core purpose and the corporate. Now I've done vision and mission in the corporate world I've been in before, but it wasn't until it. One, by creating that vision statement or that which was you know um, to create a safer fairer more honest world now that came out of we do compliance training but it yeah. it resounded and it was true for me right and again it allowed me to focus the business and stay 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 targeted within a very broad opportunity but stay stay focused and then what it did was when events occurred good or bad I could look at that event objectively and say, that's interesting. This is, oh, it's not. Sometimes I say, that's shit, right? Um, but step back and say, well, how does my core purpose and the business purpose relate to this, what's happened? And how am I now going to, to move myself and my business forward within the context of what's occurring? And suddenly it created opportunities. And if you suddenly see every event, good or bad, as an opportunity to move the business in some way or move yourself in some way, right? It suddenly opens up so much potential. Sometimes there's nothing to do. And it's like, well, I'm just going to sit here. I see it. I'm not going to react to it in any negative way. Same with the little child. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to emotionally respond because I don't actually need to. And so that ability to look at opportunity, recognize that events and happenings as opportunities to grow, right? That was that's a massive, massive, um, significant part of, of this whole pro- of the process of of giving yourself a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and, and peace. Just to add one thing, so you know we've been kind of talking about these these big picture ideas like purpose and vision, and and they, and they are just so fundamental. Um, but you know you asked about the strategy, the process that I took out from. So it went, it went from those high-level fundamental ideas down right into the granular level, and we really started looking at multiple systems within his business and looking for ways to optimise them. Um, for example, his Howard's financial reporting system was, I, I think it's fair to say, not, almost non-existent, right? It, it wasn't clear. He had no insight into whether he was profitable or not, which lines of products were profitable. And we, we set up a financial reporting system, um, for example, and it, it went into the granular level in terms of his marketing. And we set up some, you know, marketing strategies focused around this whole idea of content marketing, which has become very popular today. The idea of um, giving people a taste of what it is you're offering them, often for free, to build credibility and trust. And that is often one of the most powerful marketing approaches and how it started to do that. And he's still doing it that today and bringing in significant numbers of leads as a result of that. So we, we started with the big picture and then we moved right down into the granular level of his systems and his marketing strategies as well. And Aiden, I just want to come from, I just want to come from the, the business's perspective. When Joel says financial management system, right, it's, uh, to me, even now, it scares me when he says that. Because I think, oh, my God, what do I know about that? That's too difficult, too technical. But we spit up a spreadsheet, an Excel sheet, and he literally 
helped me put the right things in the right boxes. And suddenly I was able to actually see how much money was in the bank, how much money we were making, what revenue was. I was able to actually understand what the financial financial management of a business means. And I know from many friends that most small businesses don't manage their finances. Why they have cash flow problems? Because they don't know how to. They don't have the data. And actually, it's only because they haven't got the system in place, the process in place. And it's much, much simpler, right, than I ever thought, right? And and I think with the, the all those things, that don't be terrified. Don't be afraid because it's not that complicated. You can simplify it right down to stuff that everybody can understand and apply. I had no idea about running a, a financial side of the business at all, right? So I just want to say that that, that it's intimidating. Some of these the language is intimidating. The reality, when it's brought down simply as Joel does, it was, it was obvious. Yeah, and you know, do you know the thing that really dawned on me is like you were given new lenses to look at your life through our years' work, and then your, Joel gave you new lenses to look through your business. But it also made you then look at your own life and your family and and you know i'd love to talk about as well the support you had from andrea your wife because yeah. that seemed to be a key piece because she stuck through <laughs> you and and also helped you get back in the game when you were thinking of of packing it in totally totally so so uh, you know we all need community we need people right uh, there's very few people i don't think you can be happy on your own totally on your own i don't think there's any point um i'm blessed with a real hard-ass, tough partner who won't let me, you know, get away with anything, right? Um, you I, toilet seat I, up by, man. Oh, uh, no, I used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used, you, no. you come try it. Try it. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish Andrew or anybody else, and I wouldn't want to have anybody else, right? Um, and so... Yeah, um, without, again, you don't get the support, right, unless you are willing to give it, right? And I think it's, again, when I, Andrew knew the the pressure we were under. She was living the pressure. And I think that's one of the things that she said uh, we should write a book about, which is the entrepreneur's wife. Because our spouses, right, male or female, our spouses, right, have a way harder time because they have no control, right? Everything is in our hands as the business people. And, you know, I wrote in the book and, and I was, I'm so, was so amazed that she allowed me to, to, to write this and, and, you know, show our vulnerability and her vulnerability. You know, when, when she goes into, when it's the, the grocery store and the credit cards don't work, none of them, right? And it's our local store where she knows people yeah. and there's nothing she can do about it. Right. And if she comes home and, and she comes home and says it with tears in her eyes, not as a, you know, you've got to fix it because she she knows that I was trying. And sometimes she does get angry, of course. Right. We all do. But, you know, that recognition that that our spouses have, you know, more pain or as much pain in the process and deal with have to handle the pressure. Right. Of us not being around because we're working all the time of there not being, especially in the startup environment, there's no money, right? You're not got income. You've got all the pressures and they're living it and they can't do much about it, right? So that I wanted to 
publicly again, which I do as much as often as I possibly can acknowledge Andrea um, and acknowledge all our spouses for the support. Yeah. And at the same time is, is standing up and owning it and being honest with them. Right. Um, and that's what it was with Andrea saying, look, I know I'm not doing this well enough. Um, and I, but I don't know how to do it and I, and I don't know how to do it better. And the, she was the one who said, speak to this guy, Aria. If Joel says speak to him, speak to him. Right. Yeah. Find out what he's got to say. And so, and she's also, she recognizes what, who I am as a person and what I need to make me fulfilled. And yeah. so, you know, gave me permission to be selfish and to, to, you know, run my own business and build the business. And, you know, as I said, on in February, we're going to Iceland to look at the Northern Lights together. And now she travels Beautiful. with me, right? She has a new job. She's got a new job title. Um, she's just yesterday resigned finally from her own job, which she was doing part-time recently. And she's now got a new job title called Trailing Spouse. Beautiful. And she travels around the world it. with me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's such fun. Right. Um, it's like it's like a, a, a poor man's version of entourage, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Maybe, maybe. A cleaner version. A cleaner version. A cleaner version. A cleaner version. But just as much fun, and um, you know, not as much drama. Um, yeah. And we and we do a lot more good when we travel. Yeah. I think. Brilliant. Yeah. Now, and and you know that that exposure of the vulnerability comes across in the book so well, and. When you buy the book and it's available on Kindle and paperback, mindfulentrepreneur.co forward slash the book, the hyphen book. And there also, when you buy the book, you get a load of resources and they can be used to basically framework your business, systemize your business. Highly, highly recommend it. Your story is like a template for so many entrepreneurs, their own story. But if, a final word for, from you, Howard, and then from you, Joel, as well, be great. I want to come back to that concepts I talked about that you know the whole book is called the mindful entrepreneur and and just coming back to that idea of mindfulness I, I believe that if you want to improve your business improve your life your very first step is to make a commitment to stop lurching from one day to the next and to start thinking deliberately and strategically about your business and your life to start working on your business and on your life rather than just in it um, and, and that's really what being a mindful entrepreneur is all about from my perspective. And before we go to Howard, Joe, where can people find out more about you and your own business? If they jump on mindfulentrepreneur.co.co, they'll be able to find a bit about our book. They'll be able to find a bit about our online program. Um, if they want some you know, in-depth training from Howard and I and Aria on how to take the principles in the book to the next level and really apply them into their business, then they can do that. And they can also access some one-on-one -on -one coaching from me and my team. Well, we wish you the very best. And Howard, uh, final word from you as, as the, uh, the main character in the book. If I can do it, anybody can. I'm not the mindful entrepreneur. I'm the mindful entrepreneur wannabe. It's a process. It's ongoing. There are some people who clearly are capable of, of doing it on their own. I think there's a lot of us who aren't. We wrote the book because, and we wrote the book in the way we wrote it because I, my personal mission statement is to create the greatest sustainable value. That's what the book's about. And I believe that we offer, there's value in the book. 
Um, I think it's accessible. We've created a whole bunch of videos, which of interviews and discussions um, with Aria, with Joel, with myself together. I think they're lighthearted. I think they're very real. Um, and I would highly recommend that people use them. Um, if you have that personal capability, which I didn't, to actually work through the videos and the book and the resources on your own, it will you will change your life and change your business. I, I would commit to that. Um, and if you can't do it on your own, which most of us struggle to, then, you know, get some coaching, get spend some time. You know, you can whether you use Aria and Joel or, or anybody others, uh, we don't care um, because you can have a life that is fulfilled, is happy, is meaningful, is successful. It's possible. Um, and you just have to, you know, take the action and, and work on the business, not just in the business. Beautiful, man. That's a, a lovely way to finish. And as I said, when we talked first, when I read the book, I when, and when we got on the on the call, I, I felt like I needed to give you guys a group hug because I felt I've been through the journey with you. <laughs> yes. But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, authors of The Mindful Entrepreneur, how to rapidly grow your business while staying sane, focused and fulfilled. Joel Gershman, Howard Finger and in absentia, Arya Goldman. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks very much. Pleasure.